It's good to have you back, Dan. Dan has been in Mississippi for 10 days, and um, you can tell when he said July. Could you tell that when he went July? He, he got the Mississippi. He drug it into three syllables. Or, uh, so I'm glad you're back. We got you just in time. Uh, now Mississippi, it's a wonderful place, as is Arkansas, which is the foundation for my first little introduction story here. My wife told, told me that I told this story before. Um, I get that feeling a lot. I'm getting older. I'm, I only have a certain number of stories. I either need a more interesting life or you need to forget you've heard my stories and act like it's the first time every time I tell them. So if you've heard this before, if Joy's right and I'm wrong, then just ignore it. If you haven't, well, then this is the first time. When my boys were little, they were, I don't know, little, like um, elementary school. We lived in, in San Francisco. And they were used to San Francisco. They went to school in San Francisco. They uh, had friends from San Francisco, from the West Coast. And Joy grew up in Arkansas. Her mom and dad live in Arkansas. And um, Arkansas is really where, where home is for most of my family. Now, Arkansas and San Francisco are quite different. And um, Richard and, and Nathan, my boys, they like to understand the differences and cultural differences. So when we lived in San Francisco, we had, uh, we shipped the boys to Arkansas to visit Mama and Papa and um, spend a week or two, you know, at a time, and then they'd come back and, you know, we'd hang out. And so Richard and Nathan, they're both very different, my two boys. Raised them the same way, I've told you this, same home, same mom and dad. Turned out totally different, Richard and Nathan. They're both awesome kids, um, but uh, could not be any more different than if they were raised in totally different families in totally different parts of the world. When they were young, um, when we would take him to a playground, Nathan, my youngest, would just throw his arms up in the air, run right into the middle of the fray and just start doing whatever he wanted to do, playing, hanging out with anybody he wanted to. He's just, you know, just happy-go-lucky and um, reckless almost. Now, Richard, even when he was little, when we would get to a playground where he didn't know the kids, he would sit back with his mama and he would fold his arms and he would look at the kids and he would watch for a minute. And then he would look at Joy or me and he would say, those kids over here look nice. Those kids don't look nice. These kids are playing rough. These and he would decide where he wanted to go, and then he would walk in, and then he would play with the group of kids he wanted to play with and what he'd already decided he wanted to do. Very calculated, very thoughtful. Um, different personalities. I may be a little more like my youngest, enjoy a little bit more like the oldest Richard in that. But when we sent them to Arkansas, um, you know, they were trying to figure out the cultural differences. Church was a difference uh, in uh, Arkansas and in the church we had in San Francisco in Marin County. And so Richard called us one time after church, uh, and he was super excited. He was just pumped up. He goes, Dad, and it's a, it's a small, um, it's Southern Baptist church, you know, and it's, it's a country church. And they worship in diff a different way, a very traditional way. And he called us, and he said, you wouldn't believe this. He said, there was a guy up leading music. And, and he told you to turn into a certain page in this book. He goes, Dad, they had song Bibles. He was all excited about the song Bibles. And he said, they even have the words of the song in a book, and they have notes and things and trying to explain it to me like I'd never heard it before. <laughs> he said, then the pastor will be talking to you, and he'll be preaching, and he stands behind this box. And all of a sudden, he'll just yell at you for no reason. And he goes, it's hilarious, because he'd never heard a pastor that would just yell at you for no reason. Of course, it was emotion and different styles in different places, different communication style. And uh, Richard was fascinated, trying to figure out the difference. Joy's dad, one of Richard and Nathan's favorite people, great guy, used a word that Richard didn't know. He used a word called reckon. You ever heard that? Reckon. And he would say, when Richard would ask him something, can we do this? Can we do that? Do you think this is going to happen? And Papa would say, I reckon. And Richard had no idea what he was talking about. None, literally. 
So he called mom, Joy, and Joy had him on speakerphone, and Joy's a great mom, and, and she's a lifelong educator. She knows how to ask questions and make sure she's answering the right question that the kids are asking. And, and so Richard said, what does I reckon mean? Every time I ask Papa something, he tells me I reckon. And Joy says, well, what do you think it means? And Richard said, I think it means I doubt it. Now, now it doesn't mean I doubt it, right? But that's what Richard thought that it meant. I doubt it. And Joy said, no, no, that's not what it means. I reckon means probably so. We'll probably do that. And so Richard was thinking that Papa was saying, I doubt it, when in reality, Papa was saying probably so. And so Richard got a little smarter that day. He understood what Papa meant. And I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about the difference between the two, the two concepts, not Arkansas and San Francisco, but the difference between I doubt it and probably so. I doubt it, and yeah, we'll probably do that. The difference between I doubt it, and it'll probably happen. In fact, let's go ahead and just set up a little continuum here, a little timeline of faith. I'll use these stools, they'll be my props, and we'll say that in faith, we start off over here. I doubt it. I'm not sure. Don't know how it works. Is God big enough? Does God exist? Does he care? Is he around? Am I important? Am I on his radar? I doubt it. A lot of people start off over there. That's a starting place, right? It's okay. It's where some people are. Now, all the way over here, we have in our continuum, our timeline of faith, probably so. Can God do it? Does God care? Is God powerful? Will he show up this time? Can I trust him? Somewhere in between, I doubt it, and yeah, probably so, or the head nods, yes, we'll go, we find ourselves. From time to time, we may be closer to this level of faith, or perhaps we slide back over to this level of faith. But my goal, my heart for you, my prayer for you, has been that we can establish and develop the kind of faith where even in the middle are going into some of the most difficult and surprising times in life that we're not shaken, that we don't waver, that we can solidly stand on this side of the timeline. My God can. My God will. My God's faithful. But not everybody's there. When we have taken, or as we have taken, so much time working through the simple story of crossing the Jordan River, this story of faith, the story of stepping out in faith, the story of building a life of faith, I've done it very intentionally because I believe that far too many churches and far too many Christians have built a life on a foundation that's not standing the test of time. Far too many people are walking away. Far too many people have lives that are crumbling. The conditions that we're living in, the stresses that we're under, the things that come from the outside, the stuff that happens from the inside, we're finding that we have built our house on a faulty foundation. That we say, oh yeah, probably so. But we live, I doubt it. Jesus gave a sermon, a great sermon, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus didn't call it that. I think it's funny sometimes the names that we give stuff. Jesus didn't say, come to me, I'm going to give you a sermon from the mount. That would be kind of funny. I don't think Jesus said that. He just got up on a hill, started talking. At the end of the sermon, he gave a little concluding analogy or illustration. And he said, 
Each of you has to build your life because you're in fact alive. And as you build your life, you do that because that's the only choice. You build your life. Life is like um, diving off of a diving board, right? We're all off the diving board. Eventually, we hit the end. We find out what our lives are made of. He says, all of us build a life. He said, a smart person builds their life on a firm foundation, on a solid foundation. The person who's wise builds their life on the things that stand the test of time. A person who's foolish, they build their life on the things that they think are wise, that they choose to put into their lives that may or may not stand the test of time. The stuff that after we're gone makes very little difference, but here can seem to make all the difference in the world. And Jesus said, when the storms of life come, and the storms can be big things, they can be little things, they can be pandemics, they can be diagnoses, they can be losing a job, they can be difficulty with a spouse, it can be kids that make decisions that you wish they wouldn't make, parenting challenges, it could be emotional issues, it could be anything. When the storms come, your foundation is revealed. And you know whether you've been building on the stuff that matters or on the stuff that we've chosen to serve. The stuff that doesn't matter. The stuff that so many of us are deceived by. And Jesus said the wise builder builds on the stuff that matters. So what's the stuff that matters? I'll talk to you today, this morning, about our core convictions, about the stuff that matters. And my goal today is not to make you feel bad about yourself. It's not to beat you up. It's not to try to, to make you compare yourself to somebody else. In fact, I wanna make sure you don't compare yourself to anybody else because comparing yourself to other people is probably the worst thing that we can do for our faith. Building a faith that looks better than the people around us makes us judgmental, hypocritical, proud, defensive, abrasive, all the stuff that we don't want to be, I want you to compare yourself to Jesus. And when you compare yourself to Jesus, we realize we've got a long way to go, and that's the very best starting point I can possibly think of. So don't compare yourself to the person sitting next to you, to your husband, to your wife, to your friend. Compare yourself to Jesus. But I want us to be honest with ourselves today. I don't want to deceive myself, and I don't want you to deceive yourself. I want us to be able to look face-to-face -face with our faith, to have a faith checkup, to see whether or not our house, the house of our life, is being built on a foundation that will stand the test of time. I want that for you. Jesus wanted that for you, and so we're gonna go back to Joshua, and we're gonna spend some time talking about this idea of doubt and this idea of faith. Now, the children of Israel had to deal with this. They had to deal with this over and over and over and over again. Will God, can God, should God, is it gonna happen this time? How can I trust him? Is he trustworthy? Of course he's trustworthy. We saw him do it yesterday. Will he do it today? Can he do it tomorrow? And over and over and over, God proved himself faithful. We see them last week or saw them last week crossing the Jordan River on dry land. Next week, we're gonna be talking about them building a monument of 12 stones that point toward faith, that point toward the things that God's done in the past that give us the confidence to know that God's going to do things today and tomorrow, the things that he wants to do. But this is sort of a pause week. It's kind of a bridge week that takes us from last week to what we're gonna talk about next week. And in fact, it wasn't going to be, but we were having a worship planning meeting and Pastor Jared and Dan had seen my notes and they 
they said, hey, uh, this is two Sundays. This isn't one Sunday. So if you've seen the notes, you probably would agree with them and be thankful that on 4th of July weekend, you'll be out for lunch in time. But they said, you got to break this into two because there's just too much here to cover in one Sunday. And so we're really going to cover just the first half of this idea. We're going to talk about the idea of doubt, talk about the idea of us having to decide what we believe, having no choice. And then I'm going to take you through three different types of belief or conviction. And I'm going to ask you to evaluate your own life and decide what do I truly believe. We're going to look back here now at the words of Joshua. And these words happened later in Joshua's life, toward the end of Joshua's life. And these are words you've seen the last two weeks. They're very important words. They're words by a great leader who wasn't always great, by a leader who wasn't always perfectly faithful, by a leader who had seen God through the tests of time do amazing things, who'd led a people who were sometimes obedient and sometimes disobedient, who'd had disappointment and had had great success, had finished well. And he says these words. Now, many of us say these words in the beginning, many of us, because we're well-intended, we're optimistic, we think the best, we believe the best. But to be able to say these words at the end, man, that's special. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, this should sound well familiar, it's been two weeks, it's the third week we've talked about this. If it seems undesirable to you, choose who you're gonna serve. Now, he wasn't saying this to a bunch of newbies. He wasn't saying this to somebody who didn't know about Jesus, somebody who was new to the faith, somebody who maybe was trying to decide if they wanted to become a believer or follow Christ. He was saying this to a bunch of seasoned church people, a bunch of people who'd been around, who understood the law that they were following, who understood what it meant to take these walks or steps of faith. He was talking to people who'd been there, who should have a rock-solid faith, who should be living all the way over here on this side of the continuum, but for some reason, like you and I, fall all the way back to this side of the timeline. And he looks at them and he says, listen, if by now, Serving the Lord doesn't seem desirable for you, then choose who you're gonna serve. Do you have a better idea? It seems a little glib to me, a little sarcastic, but it wasn't. I just think it was a guy who had just outlived his filter. You have anybody in your life like that? Are you someone in your life like that? You have a filter at some point, and then at some point you just get old enough to where you don't care, right? You're just gonna say it. Now, hopefully you got good character and your heart's soft and you're saying things that are helpful and constructive like this. I just see this as a guy who's like, look, if by now serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, choose, make your best guess, choose yourself, choose a foreign God, choose an idol. I can't really help you. You've seen the best that God has to offer. And he says, but as for me, and the people who I have influence over. We will serve the Lord. Now, this is what this means. We have served the Lord perfectly, perfectly faithfully, no. Consistently, yeah. We have served the Lord. Today, we will serve the Lord. And you know what's gonna happen tomorrow? We're gonna serve the Lord. Because we have evaluated the possibilities. We've looked at the options and decided that there is no other way but to live a life of faith. But I understand doubt. I get it. Talked to friends this week who have not made a decision yet to follow Christ. Doubt. 
It's part of life. Some, God doesn't exist. Some, maybe God exists and God doesn't care. Some, God exists, I'm sure, can do what he wants to, but probably isn't going to intervene. Some, God exists, can do what he wants to, can do stuff for other people, but probably isn't going to do anything for me. Does my life count? Do I really make a difference? Are my decisions consequential? I love this series because it picks up exactly where we're living, answering the questions that you and I, I think in our darkest and weakest moments, sometimes ask, even if not to each other. So I want to give you two quotes, and these two quotes deal with this idea of doubt. And to me, they're reassuring, they're refreshing. And then we're going to move to three different levels of conviction and really drill down on our faith. Those who believe that they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of the mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. William James says that doubt is the wrong alternative, even though it's understandable, when at least three conditions are met. One, when we have live options. Number two, when the stakes are monumental, and what stakes could be any more monumental than the choice that you and I make in this life about who we are going to serve, what we're going to live for, when we must make a choice. Because you and I both know that indecision becomes decision over time. And at some point, time runs out. One important question to ask myself is, what do I really believe? And what do I only think I'm supposed to believe? Now, if you allow it, this may step on your toes. It certainly has stepped on my toes uh, this last week. I've had a whole week, actually a little more time than that, to think about this, to pick the brains of the people who I've hung out with this week, to be able to allow God to work on my own heart. My wife told me first service, I got a little intense. It's not because I'm upset. It's not because I'm angry at anybody. It's because I want this so, I want this so badly to come through. And on a holiday weekend, for you to consider these things, things and to be honest with yourself, to be challenged, not to compare yourself with the people around you, not to try to look churchy, not to worry about impression management, but to look at Jesus, to look at yourself and to find out where we need to grow. Because unless we do that, next week isn't going to work at all, what we're going to talk about. There are three different types of convictions, according to a philosopher whose last name was Novak. The first one's pretty simple, public convictions. Public convictions are what I want other people to think I believe, even though I may not believe them. Church, full of people like that. Now, the process of developing this kind of faith is, first of all, to have faith in Jesus, and then we grow into having the faith of Jesus, but sometimes we get trapped in something that Stephen Colbert called truthiness. The desire to say things that look true and that sound true, but in reality aren't true at all to us. We can say things that are true, but are not true to us. And the subculture of the Christianity that many of us choose to live within can become permeated with superficial truthiness and no substance. And it scares me more than just about anything else. 
Because on the surface, it looks like a firm foundation, but the briefest of storms come and it rocks a faith, shipwrecks a life, and we find ourselves, if we're fortunate, having to start all over again. Sometimes they're superficial things. I don't like my shirt today. I put on a red shirt because it's 4th of July, and I don't like red on me. I love red on other people. My mom wears red all the time. I bought this. I didn't want to spend a lot of money. I'm like, oh, I ought to be festive, which isn't even like me, and so I went to Kohl's and paid $10 for a red shirt. It'll probably go in the, the car wash bin or something a little later because I don't like it on me. I put it on this morning. I was looking at it. It was distracting me like I was going to go fight a bull, and I said, hey, Joy, how do I look in a red shirt? Now, Joy had to choose whether or not she was going to say, you look like you're going to fight a bull, or whether she was going to say, you look like a stop sign. Everybody's going to stop when they're dry, or she's going to say, you look great, Rick. You're going to go preach. And so Joy had to choose. Truthiness sometimes is the best way to make peace, right? Truthiness, terrible way to live a life of faith. The second type of conviction, this is where it gets a little more, eh, private convictions, what I sincerely think that I believe, but it turns out I really don't believe it at all, self-deception. Sometimes being part of a Christian community increases the temptation to believe what we believe but really don't. What do you mean? You might wanna know what I mean. I hope you know or wanna know what I mean. A biblical example would have been somebody who we can identify with, one of the disciples named Peter. Peter, one night, Jesus said, hey, you gonna deny me? No way, Jesus, I got you, right? I got your back. You get in trouble, you can always count on me. I'm your guy, right? No way will I deny you, Jesus. I am like clockwork, I got your six, you can trust me. And Jesus kind of looked at him and winked. He's like, okay, I know what's coming. Not even a day later, what happened? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Christ. I don't know any Christ. Some Jesus, is he related to the Smith family? I mean, he just totally denied the fact that he even knew Jesus within 24 hours. Now, ultimately, we know his story ended very well, Peter's did. But he had a private conviction that wasn't really a conviction at all because he didn't live up to it or according to it. Many people in a church could say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I believe it. We're saved by grace through faith, I believe it. The number one commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and by the way, love my neighbor as myself. Grace is important, forgiveness is important. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We can say these things, but think about this. Let's say that we have an outside observer, somebody who is objective, but can see everything in our lives. Follow us around for a week. What if, at the end of that week, they wrote out what the creed of our life would be? What if they revealed to us what our actions say about what we truly believe? Which leads me to the third level of conviction and that's core convictions. And friends, our core convictions are the foundation of our faith. Now, this is where I think Joy said I got a little intense last hour. So here's me not being intense at all, just serious because it's so important to me. Our core convictions what I believe 
as proven by my daily actions. What I actually do. Let me say it this way. What I actually do reveals the way that I believe life actually works. Let me step out of the sun here so I can see you guys really well. This is important. You don't have to agree with me, but I want to make sure I'm clear because if we go past this point without um, you being able to seriously consider this point, then I haven't done my job today. I believe with all my heart that what I actually do reveals how I really believe that this world works, that this life works, that my faith works. And the question that I've been asking myself all week and the question that I want you to ask yourself is, is there a difference between what you say you believe and what you really believe? All of us, I think, would have to nod our heads. Now, before you beat yourself up, first we have faith in Jesus, then we develop the faith of Jesus as we grow, right? But we get sidetracked into the trap of public convictions, of even these private convictions, of superficialism, of shallowness, of impression management, of pseudo-Christianity. And when we peel back all the layers, what we're left with is how do I act? Does my heart show that I'm a follower of Jesus? The thing that was so compelling about Jesus is that his message was super simple. And that was compelling. But what was the most compelling about Jesus is that he actually did what he said that we should do. He actually backed up with his life what he taught. He, well, let me just bring up some things here that maybe you and I can, we can judge ourselves or quiz ourselves on. Our beliefs are not just estimates and probabilities. Our beliefs, really, our faith, is an instrument that guides our actions. So here's some things that you and I would probably say we believe. Now, if you've been around church for any period of time, you'd nod your head and go, oh, yeah, yeah, these things are true. You find them in the Bible. They come right from Scripture. You'd say, yep, these things are true. Maybe it's a, a public conviction. Maybe it's never really penetrated the heart. Maybe it's a private conviction. You say it's true, but when the rubber hits the road, not so true. Maybe it's your core conviction, but let's at least um, go through this exercise to maybe peel back some layers of some of the superficiality that we get trapped with. First of all, the Bible says, don't judge or you will be judged. Like, well, of course it says that. But yet we judge people all time. When the Bible says don't judge, it means don't criticize. Anne Lamott, an author from the San Francisco area, she says, isn't it crazy? Isn't it ironic? Isn't it funny? When it turns out that God hates all the same people we do. Now, she was being ironic because she understands an important principle that God doesn't hate, that Jesus was a uniter, not a divider. He was a bridge, not a barrier, that he came to to love and to serve the world around him, not just the people who were like him, not the people who shared his convictions, not the people who went to church with him, not the people who voted like him, not the people who lived in his neighborhood, not the people who came from his country. He loved and served the world to a saving relationship with God because the gospel was more important. But sometimes we Christians are the worst at deciding that God's against everybody who we're against 
and in reality, against is the wrong construct in the first place. Why are we so angry? I don't know. Forgive like I have been forgiven by Jesus. Oh yeah, preacher, that's true, that's true. Bible says forgive, it's right there in the Lord's Prayer. It's mentioned all the times in Scripture. It's important. Oh, we can even say, not forgiving somebody is like me drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. Well, that's right. That's right, preacher. It's like me locking myself in a jail cell and handing somebody else the key. Oh, forgiveness. It's allowing somebody else to trap me in the past and take me back to things they want to whenever they want to. But when the rubber hits the road, are we forgiving people? Because Jesus forgave. And it's hard, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not right. And so when we forgive, it doesn't mean what somebody else did is okay. It doesn't mean they're not consequences. It doesn't mean you have to have a relationship with them. It doesn't mean it's safe or wise to have them in your life. But yet the condition of our heart, sometimes we harbor, sometimes we hang on, sometimes. Let the one who wants to become great become a servant. Oh, that's the truth, right? That's the truth. That's one of my private convictions for somebody else. Because I'm busy. I got kids. I got a job. I got to make a living. I mean, you certainly can't expect me to serve the Lord. I mean, you want me to, oh, come on. I mean, that's for other people who don't have quite as much going on. Perhaps it's not a core conviction. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. I worry about tomorrow. Maybe you do too. His eyes on the sparrow? I mean, there's enough money to take care of me? You're going to provide for me, Lord? You're concerned about me? Yeah, I believe it. Sometimes our autonomic nervous system doesn't. Sometimes our heart rate doesn't. Sometimes our stomach doesn't. As we get butterflies and anxiety and concerns, it's better to give than to receive. Oh, man, that's a good one. Every single week we have this as a test. We say we believe it. We say, oh, yes, it's a personal conviction. It's a core conviction. Yet every week we have the opportunity to give and give generously and we find out, is this a core conviction or is it something superficial that's for somebody else? Well, heaven is much better than the best day here. Now this one is one that I've really been thinking a lot about because for some of us, I'm not 100% sure we really believe it. Now we're not supposed to know a lot about heaven because if we did and really knew what heaven was like, we'd probably spend so much time wanting to be there that we'd forget to be any good here on earth. But I think sometimes we get trapped into the belief that, well, heaven is certainly better than hell and I don't want that. So I better go there. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to lose. And after all, heaven is winning. And so, I mean, I want to win and go to heaven. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun to sit on a cloud and play a harp. I'm not really musical. And I'm not 100% sure I want to walk on streets of gold. But, I mean, it's certainly better than burning. And I mean, we, we go through these. But if you and I really believed, and I mean in our core, and some do, at least most of the time, that heaven is home, and it's the reward waiting for us after living a life of faithfulness here on earth, everything about the way we live would be different. 
impossible to live the same way that we live with the reality of heaven in mind. For example, I was talking to a friend of mine, one of our deacons this week. We were talking about church and church growth and you know, just um, trends that are going on across the country and how do we make sure that we're doing our part to make sure that our church is growing. He says, we need more social media, we need more advertising, just brainstorming. Uh, you know, social media and advertising, that accounts for about 5%, 8%, maybe 10% of people who come to a church. What really accounts for everybody who actually comes and visits a church? What's well, a personal invitation from somebody else? And he and I were talking, and he said, what if we really believed? What if we really believed that heaven and hell were a present reality, that heaven was the reward waiting for us when we leave this life behind. And that any moment anyone could take their last breath and be faced with the consequence of the decision they made about Jesus and experience it for eternity. He goes, you know what? I bet I would think about my neighbors differently. I bet I'd think about my coworkers differently. He said, I bet I wouldn't compartmentalize my life. And I said, me too. But for some reason, it just doesn't always make it to the core conviction. Again, not beating you up, not beating myself up, comparing myself to Jesus, saying, I got work to do. Perhaps you do too. Faith is believing with my whole body what I say that I believe with my mind or with my mouth. Now, what do we do with it? Well, first, we evaluate. How do I stack up? If an outside observer followed me around for a week and they wrote the creed of my life, Rick believes this, what would it look like? What would compare well to Jesus? What would I need some work on? Because we're being honest with each other. And when I say we're building the foundation that will stand the test of time, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. The stuff that's real. The stuff that's at our core. The stuff that nothing can ever take from you. Perhaps even, of course even, the only stuff that will matter after we're gone. So, next week, we're gonna be talking about the children of Israel building a 12-stone monument to God's work that he did when he parted the waters of the Jordan and the entire nation crossed over on dry land. We're gonna be talking about how important it is to have stones, monuments in our own life that we can look back on, that we have gathered or collected from our lives or the lives of those we love that are markers or monuments to God's faithfulness and his power. But we have to come to that transparent, authentic, and honest with God about ourselves and our faith, willing to unite with the people around us and grow together or it's not gonna work. So that's why we talked about today what we talked about. And I cannot wait for next Sunday when we finish this up. Father, thank you so much for my friends.